The Fujicast is an independent loading zone production. Now, this is not so much a question, actually, so uh, may, may, maybe we should include this in the... Well, we are kind of including it in the preamble now because I've started talking about it, Kev. Andy Brim wrote us a, a message. So Kev is right. So you're right, Kev. There used to be hedgehog flavoured crisps. Are you talking I about knew he- it. hedgehog flavoured crisps? I even put a picture I of it on you Facebook. you made that up. No. However, a memory serves they were actually hedgehog and Mackerson. Mackerson? What, slippers? Uh, Smith's crisps, I think. Oh. Last time I even remember seeing a, a pack, it must be around 1983. Yeah. All the best, Andy, right. age 55 and three months. It's important to uh, <laughs> give your age when you remember stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, did, do, you remember, existed. do you remember Cabana bars? Yes. That was my favourite chocolate bar, and they yeah. discontinued those, you see. Yeah, yeah, they were great, weren't they? Cabana bars were lovely. They were like like a little slither of, um, it was coconut, and then a red piece of jam going through the middle. Mm. Oreos are vegan, you know. Are they? Mm. Cabana bars would have been as well, wouldn't they? Probably. Uh, and true. Oh, no, 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 because no, no, well. no, no, anything that's dairy milk is not, is it? Well, no, true. But they don't have to be used. It could no. be using oat milk, or it could be using coconut milk. Yeah. Or I wonder what my granddad would think about all this now. He used to own a <laughs> confectionery shop. He'd be like, oh, Granddad, uh, I used to wonderful staying at Granddad's shop. Uh, although I always slept on a bed that was above the the tobacco store and uh. and the money. Yes. <laughs> I'm not quite sure how safe that not was. Not much has the changed. Fuji cast. <laughs> Why not? don't sleep on the money? <laughs> I wish I did. Can you imagine that? A, a feathered bed of money. Of anyway. So, um, uh, welcome along again. Um, as always, star of the show today is going to be you and your questions uh, on anything loosely photo-related. Tech is nice. It's been really nice, by the way. The last couple of weeks, we've been getting some uh, some new names, mm. which is which is fabulous. Um, the mm. show lives on your questions. Send them in to click at fujicast.co.uk. Um, mention to the private uh, Facebook group as well. If you haven't be- be- become a part of this, you should do. It's been a, a real community of like-minded folk now, which is fantastic. So uh, a mention to, to them as well. Still, please no mic drop pictures where you simply post something with some EXIF data. At least give us a little background. Doesn't need to be an essay, but it does need to say more than, I just dropped this here to show how good I am, and then ran. Uh, and also, we love those conversation starters. Talking of which, let's start with the conversation starter. You can launch with this week's first question. Okay, this is from Ben Race, and he says, that's a cool name, isn't it? Ben yeah. Race, I like that. Vroom. Uh, when shooting for fun... Vroom. <laughs> 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 when shooting for fun for a long time I've been using a small and embarrassingly old compact Canon camera right. um, brilliant in its day but probably now destined for a museum your show has encouraged me to think Fuji and I find myself with a little pot of money to invest in a cool toy that just makes me think that he's a leprechaun a little <laughs> pot of money I've a little pot of money <laughs> found a pot of money um, in a cool toy that I'd like to use for uh, trying my hands at street stuff and for family pictures um, and then he goes on to say I hear rumours of a replacement for the X100F should Ooh. I wait or would that be a good shout right now? Cheers, Ben in windswept Dartmouth. Uh, what what would be a good shout? What an F? Get one an X one hundred F now. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Honestly, I'm gonna say, say this with all hands on my all my hearts. I have no idea, um, zero idea whatsoever. Really? Um, things might have changed by the time this episode is live, but <laughs> you know, I really don't know. X one hundred, boom. And no. Nothing. So if you had to, if you had a pot of cash and you wanted to get into the Fuji thing. But his question is, should he buy one now or should he wait yeah. and see if another one is released? Oh, I see. That's his question. Oh, right, okay. So I have no idea if another one has come in. Um, my it, my, my if, personal... If, if we weren't talking about the possibility of another one coming, what yeah. would you be saying? Get an X100F. Would you? Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. 
Um, but of course, he says about he mentions his embarrassingly old Canon compact camera. But maybe if you're still getting the pictures from your embarrassingly old Canon compact, 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 compact <laughs> then carry on using it. Compact kingpin compact. Um, you talking a different language? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. The the crux of the question is: Is there another X100 coming? Yeah. Of course, there probably will be. I have literally no idea when, um, and I mean that. And so, go for one now. Okay. Or wait. It's up to you. All right. Clean that up. <laughs> yeah. I, I forgot to mention uh, at the start, by the way, we have two disaster stories coming up. We, we decided in a uh, in a programme meeting that lasted approximately five seconds with a cup of coffee that the, the disaster stories will go at the end of the show. So, in fact, we've got two disaster stories coming up today. But on the disaster uh, theme, if you like, here's something from Mark Bodie, Gentlemen. Um, so, not trying to be all macabre, um, and I hope you have a very long life. <laughs> not quite sure. <laughs> I like where, yeah, what's <laughs> this? Where's this going? <laughs> where this story is actually going, or this question. But do either of you have a contingency plan in place for your work and personal photographs, should the worst happen? Um, personally, as an amateur, I don't have any kind of plan. When I finally pass on, my pictures are likely to die with me, or at best, sit on a dusty hard drive in a family member's drawer somewhere. Would it be better to bequeath all the thousands of images in a will? This is one of those odd things I've always thought about. It's not like any... This is the weirdest question we've ever had. Um, it's, But it's a good question. It's, it's just one of those odd things I've always thought about. It's not like any camera gear that can easily be sold on. Anyway, keep up the stellar work, and here's to many, many more years. <laughs> well, uh, I suppose, if you think about it... Another day closer to being dead. <laughs> There's a jingle for everything. (laughs) Uh, It's a great question, though, isn't it? (laughs) Absolutely brilliant, brilliant question. Mm. Um, Not something I've thought about, I have to say. Would you bequeath your pictures? Well, I I, I guess by the virtue of the fact that all of my equipment would go to um, the current Mrs. Kev, then... Oh, she'd have moved on by then. But yeah, probably. Yeah. She probably her and Jeff Goldblum probably oh, won't, won't yeah. be interested in them. She's already salivating at the <laughs> uh, So by virtue, by inference, they would go that direction, I guess. Um, Depends how important you think your pictures will be. I well, mean, funnily enough, yeah. Viv- Vivian Meyer probably never thought her pictures would be very important at all. Yeah, so much so. And look what happened. She to didn't her. develop them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a really interesting question. Like, really interesting. I don't think that. Uh, you know, your personal family photos, which is, I presume, what we're talking about here. We're not talking about any kind of commercial yeah. stuff and yeah, all that because yeah, yeah, the clients yeah. get all of that. They will go. They will, you know, you'll print some during your, your life. Some will go onto Facebook, which then will be shared elsewhere. They'll get onto phones. They'll get yeah. onto walls and yeah. prints and little photo books that I, we do. We both do for our family every year. That kind of stuff. They're, you know, you, you pick the best for those. Presumably, they will the ones that will stick around and the, the, the 10 million other ones. Old family photos are fascinating to look through. If you go to, have you ever yeah. been to a photographic fair and you've you've seen old, old pictures and you think, oh, that's I've bought. I just spent hours looking at those. I pictures. must have and old postcards. I must like have five thousand old pictures. Other people's people I've never ever met before, never Amazing. seen. Buy them off eBay all the time. Do you? Yeah, I never it's knew like, you did that. Uh, and I don't do it for any particular reason. I do it to save the pictures. Seriously, they're they're usually they're usually from house salvage or something like that. Yeah, uh, and and the lot is that you know the description is normally two and a half thousand pictures of a family, various places, vacations, mm. school reunions, blah blah blah. Uh, uh, have you ever just, seen something you I just buy them? Shouldn't have seen in there. You know? No, I very rarely look through them. To be totally honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but no, your mind. <laughs> I just get out of the gutter, son. <laughs> I just wondered. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, but- Do you remember when Boots used to stick <laughs> pictures on uh, a lovely story? Boots used to stick a little sticker on your, your pictures that said, this one's suitable for enlargement. <laughs> Okay, there was a lovely story about somebody sending a picture <laughs> of himself um, wearing not too much clothes, and somebody at Boots had had a, a bit of a sense of humour, and over his had stuck the sticker. This one's suitable for enlargement. <laughs> uh, I've got a little. Uh, I keep. Have you got a little one as well? No, no, no. That's what you said. No, I don't mean like that. I've got little pictures at the back here. Now, this is the sort of thing you're talking about. This is a photo. Do you remember photo cubes? Yeah. Okay. So, mum and dad used to have photo cubes, and I've kept this one. Look, that's me being a... a Playing cowboys or something. Oh, look at all that hair. I know. I know. And that's dad's old car, an an old uh, Vauxhall Victor. Do you remember Vauxhall? There's me cleaning the, the van with Dad. I mean, that's the sort of, I love looking through yeah, no, absolutely. old stuff like that. I have all my old family pictures like from my mum gave them to me. Yeah. I have all of those. And, of course, there's no such thing as digitals. No. You know, well, there's still quite a lot of negatives, but there's, there's you know, it's all prints. That was me throwing the, that's the cube I, down, by the way. That's why I love getting these pictures of, of total strangers. yeah. yeah. Like to, so those pictures you just showed me are typical of what I have. Yeah, I would Although I have that. no connection to them whatsoever. No. Maybe I should do a YouTube film about that one day. I think it would be an amazingly interesting YouTube film. I think I, I honestly Maybe we could do. find some of the people. Well, there's, yeah, that would be almost impossible, though, wouldn't it, really? Unless anybody recognised. I don't know, my little... My little, uh, my little vegan friend, friend brain of, is overloading itself. A friend of ours did a very similar project <laughs> for her. Um, uh, 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 in fact, it was I think it was Giles's daughter. Um, she did a, a project for her art um, at school. Uh, she collected old postcards and uh, and contacted some of the people that had sent the postcards after all these years. Mm. That was a fascinating. Yeah, one. yeah. Well, I love you- that kind of sociology <clears throat> based stuff. Yeah. Yeah, Mark Bodie, thank you for that. Yeah. <laughs> Initially, I thought, what a strange question, but actually, I think I've enjoyed that more than there will be a lot of people thinking <laughs> on yes. their morning dog walks or whatever yeah. this Monday morning. Yeah, good question, very good question. More of that kind, please. Um, the book review is back in a moment by, and we mean this, popular request. Before that, a mention for this week's guest, Carhill McNaughton, a Pulitzer Prize winner, no less for images that we'll talk about in the interview. But despite the fact Carhill has travelled the globe for Reuters, telling the most amazing, sometimes harrowing stories, I garnered this quote from him. Some of my favourite images have been taken within a few miles of my house, which for Carhill is beautiful Ireland. I think, I think there's a lesson in that to see more of what's around you as the story, rather than thinking you have to travel thousands of miles for it. Yeah. So we promised this week we would add a book review. So we're going to bring it, but we we did we did well, it's not so much reviews, but really bringing books to your um to your attention. We did used to do this, and then for some reason we dropped it. I don't know why, because uh, people people often says I liked it when you yeah. read through a few books well, and that, suggested a few. The reason why we thought about talking a, a little bit more about some of our favourite books is because we get a lot of comments on There's Facebook, aren't they? you yeah. know, and and people seem to be getting into the into the um you know into the the kind of Book. Book. Books. Book. Yeah, that's the word I'm looking for. We're talking about books, right? So, um, yeah, uh, it's good. It's all so good. So, the first one you brought in then? So, the first one I'm actually going to talk about is um, it's got a bit of a tricky name. It's right. called The Ballad of Sexual Dependency, and right. it's by Nan Goldin. So, Nan- why, is that, why is that a tricky name? Well, it's, you know, connotations, isn't it? The Ballad of Sexual Dependency. Right. But, no, I think it's but, very obvious. It's but like it's, a sledgehammer, this one. Well, yeah, kind of. I'm just going to show Neil one of the pictures yeah. from the book. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
you can see my my kind of uh, it's sausage not, roll. Anyone? Not not at all. It's Vegan? N- it's not. Oh no, it's not reticence to discru- discuss this book because it is an yeah. absolute classic. Yeah. Um, and so Nan Golden was, oh, still is a photographer, and yeah. and this kind of period incredible is, photographer, absolutely yeah. is this in during the seventies, I think early eighties, where she essentially spent a lot of time with her friends, most of whom, perhaps not most, but many of whom were HIV positive and subsequently passed we, away. We talked about her recently. I we think, have done, we? yeah. yeah. Now, The Ballad of Sexual Dependency is a, um, it's more than a book. It's an exhibition with the soundtrack. So it's like a photo film, if you like. If you see it properly at an exhibition, it has a soundtrack. So it's a bit like when you go to, I love it at the Tate Modern, when you you have the room that has televisions laid out. And and, and it's usually very simple, isn't it? It's one one screen and everybody's sort of crowded around it. Yeah, absolutely. And and, uh, so Nan Golden is still a, a photographer and still working today. And she has uh, she's she's been quite divisive, I suppose, over the years in terms of opinions. But I I love her. And if you when you look at the pictures in these books, many of them just come across as you know Kodak snaps, if you like. Um, but that's what the beauty of the book is. That's mm. what the beauty is. It's real life. It's what certainly warts and all. There's some very uncomfortable images in this book, um, but there's some very beautiful images. I'm looking at page 52 now. Mod kid with dog, London, 1980, uh, and it's a guy. She's thrown a flash. He's stood up against a wall. She's thrown a flash at him. You can see the shadows. There's a little dog jumping up. There's a Hoover in the background. There's some cables. There's a there's an old box on the floor. <laughs> um, the door is is a bit damaged and stuff. So mm. uh, it's got one of those old fashion light switches that you know you probably still have in your grandparents house and and it's it's you know it's it's a nostalgic picture but it has a whole meaning in the series of the book um like i say these are all friends of hers or people that she was involved with mm. so this is um you know as i flick through the books you then uh, as i flick through the book now you then get some of the more um uh, images that are yeah. kind of risque risque but all with a with a meaning there's a context to it there it's is, not just nudity for nudity. No, sake. no, 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 and it's not. There, there's very little nudity in it, and that's why I say that. Well, apart um, from that one, and that title, one, and that one, the title. Oh, it just so happens the pages unfolding <laughs> over, uh, flicking through uh, like that. Um, but you know, there's pictures of kids and stuff like that playing around. Um, and it is. I'm just going to go to the final page. Tell you how many pages it is. Um, 145-ish or so pages. Mm. Beautiful, beautiful book. It's come comes in many versions and variants. You've these got days. the hardback version. Though. I have the hardback version. Um, we'll, we'll link to it in the notes. We will, of course, link to it in the notes. So, my book of the week, if you so want to call it that, <laughs> is the Ballad of Sexual Dependency by Nan Golding. Good. Thank you for bringing that one in, Kev. Um, questions? Actually, it's it's back to you. Your turn. Okay, so I have one from Jonathan Clapton. Now, I know Jonathan because... Uh, oh, Eric's son. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, I, I photographed his wedding. Well, Eric? Uh, no, Jonathan. <laughs> oh, right. Jonathan Clapton. Uh, that'd be clever. He's years older than you. He goes on to say, avid listener, amateur photographer, well, and wedding client of Kev's, mm. as well as an attendee on his workshops. Right. Um, I can confirm that his follow-on approach to selling seems to be working, as uh, my wife and I have a baby arriving imminently now i know this is from a few months back because the baby is here ah. um and he goes on to say i'm expecting an email offering his documentary family photography services any day now just 
get my pen and paper, Jonathan. <laughs> uh, right, email to Jonathan. Um, anyway, he goes on to say, having just invested in a new 27-inch display for my MacBook Pro, right. I've realised that uh, recent photos I thought were perfectly sharp, or at least very usable, are less so on closer inspection on a larger screen. In particular, indoors and lower light shops, the shots are somewhat soft and or noisy in contrast to well-lit shots, which I appreciate is typical of higher ISOs, but viewing them on full screen makes this very obvious. My question is, what adjustments do you typically make in Lightroom before you're happy with higher ISO images? And what is the best I can reasonably hope for during post-processing for noise reduction and sharpness for low light images? I'm trying to understand whether it's perhaps my expectations that need to change. Many thanks in advance, Jonathan Clapton. Mm-hmm. Now, because he's using a, a monitor on a Macintosh, I think you should answer this question. What about being being sharp? <laughs> yeah, I think it's the worst. I think it's the worst monitor. I, I, I think you can possibly look at stuff on for, for colour calibration reasons alone. Hmm. We covered that, didn't we, with Jeremy Dulder? Yeah, um, before Christmas, I um, I don't personally find that a great issue. I, I'm I think I think it's expectations. Are- One thing I would say is I, I have two screens. I have a 32 inch and a yeah. seven, 27 inch, and I like I'll typically edit my images on the 27 inch because 32 inch is too big. Yeah, and I I, I don't I, like seeing them too large. I'm having to move no. my head around, yeah, 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 you know, yeah. to and see, you start pixel peeping them at that that large. Yeah, and also nobody else sees them that large. No nobody it's it's the same with our websites when you look at your website and it looks beautiful on your 27 inch screen and then actually you need to realize that 90 percent of people are going to be watching on a smartphone iphone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. um or so yeah i mean of course you want them to to look great on your screen and especially if you're displaying them at home but you know make it a lesson in in understanding where where the iso is at in those images the ones that are too sharp i mean basically if an image is at a high iso it's likely to be um softer because mm. the the grain is interfering with the structure of the image um i mean part of the question jonathan says is you know what's your process in lightroom and mine is very straightforward mm. for um noise reduction. i never sharpen no i never sharpen never sharpen no, at never. all i think people over sharp and Fujifilm images in Lightroom and and that can can lead to the the kind of worming effects. Um, I do output sharpening so when I export my image I just say to Lightroom oh so you do do some sharpening well, well I don't but Lightroom does it on output uh, export oh, right okay so I just use the preset so but you'd have to add that before you add any grain wouldn't you no otherwise you're going to be sharpening the grain yeah but I do it right at the very so it's on export export sharpening so I don't do any sharpening in Lightroom do you add grain I don't add grain no right not necessarily. Okay, so well, that no. answers my question then, because I was thinking if you add grain, then add export sharpening, you're going to be sharpening the grain, which is going to look awful. Yeah, but the way that Lightroom does it, you're right, but the way that Lightroom does it is that it looks at, algorithmically looks at the structure of the image, I believe. That's why they, they, the option is in the output dialog box. Ex- okay. Sorry, export dialog box. And you have screen, print, yes. uh, glossy, print, matte, and I just choose standard for whichever device it's going to. And how much do you sharpen? Standard. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's it. So never, never do anything else. Um, but for noise reduction, I typically, if I have, I, I, I use um, smart collections in Lightroom to cat to cat, to group my images together based on noise reduction. So I have a um, in six thousand four hundred to twelve thousand eight hundred yes. is one area. That's similar to the way I do it. Yeah. And I will do minus fifty detail yeah. on that for sharpening. Uh, sorry for noise reduction. And then I have um, 2,500 to, or 2,560 to 3,800 to 6,400. I'll do 40, and then basically they lead their way down. Anything up to 1,000 ISO gets no noise reduction whatsoever. Uh, So up to 1,600. 
Mm. I had a tiny bit. I can't remember the numbers to be honest, but it yeah. goes to me then two thousand to six four and six four my, and above. Yeah, mine are based on stops, right. so zero to sixteen hundred or whatever, yeah, yeah. then sixteen hundred to two eight and blah blah blah. So that that's it in terms of noise reduction. But um, Jonathan will know that because he's been on my uh, workflow workshop with me. Yeah. So. Have you got many workshops coming up this year? Um, I yes, I've got a few. Yeah. Um, most of the ones depends what time. Yeah, most of the, all of the existing ones sold out. So I'm I'm putting, I have put or I'm soon to put more on the website. KevinMullinsWorkshops.co.uk. <laughs> um, I'm I'm actually planning on doing some documentary wedding ones this year myself. Ooh. Yeah, I am. More news to follow. Yes, good for you. Uh, <laughs> Nick Osborne. Hi Neil. Hi Kev. This week is a double first for me. My debut wedding photography gig and my first ever email to Fujicast. Well, you're you're very welcome, Nick. Um, you guys are inspiring with Kevies, engaging, absolute pleasure to listen to, even in your grumpy rant mode. <laughs> yeah, yada yada. You haven't had many of those since you've been proper vegan. Oh no, it's it's. They it, seem to be. Yeah, your sort my of whole body is vibrantly excited about the effervescence of life. Yeah, I mean, look at your skin. Amazing. <laughs> I'm still buzzing from the experience of shooting this first wedding with a friend on the beautiful Brancaster coast. Ah, oh, that's lovely. The couple were really nice people. The other guests were equally lovely. The weather was ideal. And to top it off, we somehow managed to get a round of applause and a shout-out of thanks from the DJ as we finally left the wedding venue in the evening. Sounds like they serenaded you out. And now, leaving the building, the wedding photographers. Anyway, we fully intended to be passive observers in the background. This would be your worst nightmare, wouldn't it, Kev? Seems like <laughs> it. Yeah. <laughs> Kevin is leaving the building. Everybody line up. We're going to do a little sparkler thing for him <laughs> as he leaves. Uh, we fully intended to be passive observers in the background and certainly didn't seek this kind of recognition. And not sure we deserved it either, he says in brackets. But nonetheless, it was lovely to get this kind of unexpected praise at the end of a long day. I certainly don't get that level of backslapping when I do my day job in the office. Now... I know Kev doesn't even say goodbye when he leaves a gig. However, my question to you both is, what has been the most surprising or rewarding moment you've encountered when leaving a wedding? Best wishes, Nick and St Ives. It's a lovely part of the world in Cambridgeshire. Um, I'm trying to think of one. I mean, usually, I, I'm, as, as the old Matt Bianco song said, sneaking out the back door with a grin. Matt Do you remember Matt Bianco? God. Get out of your lazy bed. Yeah, I do remember. Do you remember Matt the Bianco. war, Grandad? Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I don't. Even though I don't purposely say goodbye, I don't purposely not say it either. You know, I just don't. You're a bit grumpy. If, like I, if I if if I'm going past them and they're by the door or whatever, then I'll a, speak to them. But I'm not going to. Might give them a humph. I'm not going to go and. Uh, yeah, drag him off the dance floor and tell him I'm off. So um, do the fist bumps and stuff like that. <laughs> smashed it today. <laughs> smashed it. Um, I am um, awesome. I don't know what's the most. Uh, um, I've been given gifts. Yeah, I have been given at the wedding. Yeah, yeah. I've been given gifts. <laughs> Somebody just lifts up. Here, I have this chandelier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, here, Hotel here, won't mind. Here, I have this wedding gift. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We just take the name off, right? Yours, isn't it? Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I've been given champagne and whiskey and stuff. Um, I've been given a tip once, what cash tip, really, in an envelope. Wow. Yeah, I never received a cash uh, tip in an envelope. I've often been, you know, don't forget to take some wedding cake for your kids and, and all oh, that yeah. kind of stuff. Oh yeah, I mean, I often leave with wedding cake. Oh, I never take it. Do, I do. <laughs> 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 and that is the worst habit. I've got to. That's got to go. 
but then usually it ends in absolute disaster. I, le- I left the wedding in um, in London just before Christmas, and I had some really nice. Now, I know that uh, I'm I'm sorry. Close your ears now. <laughs> it was a really. <laughs> that's not even the right animal. Um, it was really nice pulled pork um, bap, and there was loads of um, lovely um, uh, sauce with it. The first thing I did was bit into it, and it went everywhere. It went all down my front, oh, over the no. steering wheel, yeah. fell on the floor, oh. all against the windscreen. <laughs> God knows how I managed to make it make that much mess. Oh. So that's that's probably a good habit to stop. I don't know. I don't really think it's the best. Um, most surprising or rewarding moment you've, you've encountered. I certainly haven't been fanfared out like that, though. That's that, no. that would. I did. I did. I did have uh, the best. Uh, I went to a particularly kind of laddie kind of wedding, and they were taking the rise out of me all day long. And then when it came to the best man speech, they did a Neo, Neo, Neo when they were doing all the thank yous. That was a bit embarrassing. Uh, yeah, I've been. <laughs> I have never had that, but I've been called out a couple of times during the speeches. Yeah. Uh, and usually I just go bright, puce colour. Do you colour. like being called out during the no. speeches? I always, you know, there's part of me that thinks, uh, you know, the, the, you sit there, you're waiting, and it, the, everybody gets thank you. They, so they thank the chef, obviously. They thank yeah. the waiting staff. They thank the driver. They thank the dressmaker, the florist. Oh, everybody. Me, me, me next, yeah. me next, me next. Yeah. <laughs> and, then to, and finally, I'd like to, and you think, it's going to be me. I'd like to say thank you to my wife. And you think, oh, right, okay. Yeah. No, I also agree with that. However, on the occasions where they have said thank you to me, I've just gone yeah. bright purple. Um, as much as you'd like to be thanked for it, yeah, <laughs> equally you're quite yeah. happy to be. And I wonder sometimes the observer if, in the corner if they if they don't because you're there and perhaps they realise that it's a call out thing and so ah, yeah, maybe that they don't. Might be it, yeah, who knows? I don't know. Um, so there we go, Nick. I think you've trumped us both on that one. Okay, so I have a question from Helen Fennell, and she says, "I hope all is well with you." Oh, Helen Fennell's coming along to the thirtieth birthday thing. Thank you. So no, first birthday Th- thing. That, so on the thirtieth. Thank you for such a top-notch podcast. I always feel... Sorry, was I interrupting you? (laughs) Photographically invigorated after listening. I was recently asked by someone who has just taken up photography as a hobby what they should do to improve. In my mind, the honest answer, like anything, is practice. Sports people train, musicians practice their instruments, and artists sketch. Due to security and safety reasons in my day job, I can't always take a camera with me everywhere I go, Ooh, she must be a spy. Wow, I'm just fascinated now to know what she does. I always think when people on workshops say yeah. to me, I work in the civil service, yeah. I think, well, you would either say you're a teacher or a yeah. librarian. or what. So if you just say I work in the civil service, you're definitely a spy. Don't you peer out the window and see if they've got an Aston Martin with a rocket launcher in the car <laughs> park. Keep an eye and see if there's anybody else in the room watching. <laughs> um, anyway, sorry, Helen. Um, you're probably not a spy, although you might be. Um, nothing wrong with it. <laughs> Do you live, perhaps she lives in the GCHQ. I have developed a habit of trying to formulate compositions in my mind. Yeah. Even when I don't have a camera to try and exercise my creative eye, I was wondering whether you practice photography daily, and even when n- not shooting for work, see spy, yeah. <laughs> and whether you had any approaches you used to does keep your up your pen, skills. Does your pen take pictures, Helen? No, what's that? That's the wrong thing. No, you're oh. thinking of that's a dance song. Um, Is as, it in the hit parade? <laughs> it's um, uh, yes. I actually do exactly what um, Helen's talking about. Not so much with the compositions, but usually when I'm in supermarkets or something like that, I'm usually thinking that'd be a brilliant picture. Oh, I thought I'll get for my a minute, Martin Parr head on and kind of when you're click in, my hands. You're not. Are you tempted to whip out a camera and no, take a picture not, in the supermarket? I would love to. I'd love. I would love a supermarket commission. Would be my favourite, mm. but. You can't just go in a supermarket and start taking pictures. How would you go about that if you were uh, if you had a supermarket commission? What kind of kit would you use, and how would you do it? Uh, 
I, I, ouch, ouch, don't know. Um, I'd want to do it from a comical point of view. I'd like to do it from the way Martin Parr would see it. Right. So, which means that Sainsbury's or Tesco's are probably not likely to ask for those types of pictures. No. Because it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the... And it's the, certainly the, not the, going to be Waitrose. The dodgy guy in his dodgy Mac dropping what? custard on the floor or something. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> don't, you, don't, don't you wear a dodgy Mac when you go shopping? <laughs> Absolutely um, No, I'd, I'd be looking for the, um, the I don't know, the... the you know the, the the weird stuff irreverent bits yeah i suppose irreverent yeah um i like airports for that reason i'd love that that would be my ultimate um yeah. project to be to be commissioned for would be to spend a month at an airport photographing the comings mm. and goings and and you know the people hugging and the the arguments across the desk sometimes and and just airport life yeah and you know the guy that's sort of resting his head because he's just yeah. Put three thousand suitcases on an Airbus three eighty. Yeah, know? yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that that would be great. Um, but I mean, from Alan's point of view, what do you do to to kind of try and keep your practice in? I suppose. And, yeah, and that's it. I do often find myself if I'm not with a camera, uh, you know, I'm somewhere where I'm not taking pictures, thinking that would be a great picture, and I, and yeah. I will occasionally find myself kind of blinking my eyes. Do you? Well, as in shutter. Yeah. yeah. Are you on a fiftieth there or? <laughs> 35 mil. Then you look one one twenty fifth of a second. My eyes. You've only got to be careful if just one of your eyes is is shutting on a fiftieth. People my, might think you're perving them. My, <laughs> my Are you eye, winking at me? No, I'm I'm a shutter. I've got a slow shutter speed. My eyesight is two thousand eight hundred ISO. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, actually, on on that note, I think my eyesight definitely um, my my ISO has gone down. Definitely, mm. I need a, I need a speed light. I think we're at age, isn't it? No, I think so. Right, to this week's guest, um, Carhill McNaughton is one of those photojournalists you kind of feel might be somewhat out of your grasp when it comes to requesting and being granted an interview. He is the photographer's photographer. He started at the Irish News age 16. He was attending riots, shootings, and the, and the kind of stories you wouldn't expect an apprentice to have access to. He was certainly not desk-bound. One of his first solo assignments was the aftermath of the Omar bombing, which... For those too young to remember, or geographically didn't digest this as a newsfeed in your country, saw 29 people lose their lives, plus two unborn children. And this action was carried out by a dissident Republican force opposed to, ironically, the peace process. Carhill made a picture, a black-and-white photograph, of a young boy at one of the funerals wiping away a tear. It's 22 years since that dreadful event, and since then Carhill has travelled extensively, resulting in the kind of work that has won him an admiration in the photographic community at large, and recognised his work with a Pulitzer Prize. More about that shortly. This week's guest is Carhill McNaughton, and we're very grateful for his time. Carl, your in- introduction to photography and in particular photojournalism was was organic to a degree. I mean, you grew up during a, a period where political unrest in Northern Ireland was was at a peak. I mean, you'd watch photojournalists come and go um, from from across the world to Ireland. But what was it that that drew you finally to the way of life that you witnessed? The lure, the excitement uh, that that drew me to it, as uh, I think a lot of people get get drawn to it. But uh, what kept me at it was. Uh, Wanting to uh, tell tell a story and wanting to get the the story out there and across to as many people as possible, uh, I there was a certain uh, empathy I think towards uh, people that were maybe uh, less less fortunate than myself, 
and uh, in latter years uh, I've, I've felt uh, it's quite an empowering thing to do to uh, tell people's story or to to be the voice of people that don't maybe have have the opportunity or the or the possibility to uh, share their story and let the world know what's happening because generally what I'm photographing is it can be seen as quite uh, negative negative things and there are issues that need to be highlighted and dealt with by uh, people a greater force than me but uh, I can be the sort of conduit for them to get their story out at times. I know your father had a real influence in you taking this path into photography. He was a, he was a very artistically practical man by all accounts wasn't he? And he, he how important was that initially to you? As any photojournalist uh, knows it's not it's not a career path that most people would be uh, encouraged to go on because you know it's not like a, a lawyer or an accountant or something but uh, my father is as you said he's a uh, is a very artistic man. He's got a background in wood turning and wood carving, but he was always at something, you know, he was always at calligraphy or art. All his hobbies always surrounded uh, around something that was uh, artistic. So uh, he he encouraged me whenever he seen that I had a, a love and a passion for uh, photography. It's not something he actually did. It's one of the few hobbies he, he never took up. You know what mm-hmm. some people's fathers and that are like, they're uh, at a different uh, hobby every few years, but it's something he never did. But he was always there encouraging me. And uh, at no point did he ever say, could you not get uh, something, maybe a more stable job or whatever. He was always right mm-hmm. there behind me, supporting me through all the all the tough times although he's he's still he's not too happy with the fact some of the places i go and some of the stories i cover but i i tend to keep a lot of that uh a uh, lot of that away from him. Now, Brendan Murphy, a very much acclaimed press photographer and, and then editor for the Irish News, he, he saw something in you, didn't he? He, t- he took you under his wing. He was an enormous figure in photography during the Troubles. And there can't have been many better or more appropriate to have worked with. Uh, and, and two, what, what was his advice to you and how, how did he help you along the road initially? He was the driving force be- behind me, really, at the start. He was my mentor, still is. And uh, Brendan was always there to get give you uh, advice pretty harsh advice at times he he didn't uh, he didn't hold back uh, he was ex- extremely critical but because I had so much uh, respect for the man and still do it seems to have uh, stood me in good stead so when I started I started in the traditional route of cleaning the darkroom and uh, diving, diving the films uh, I remember the highlight of the start of my career was being allowed to there was a wine column in the Irish News the, the, the paper I worked for at the time and it was every Thursday so every uh, Wednesday photograph had to be taken taken of a bottle of wine and I remember it was many many months of watching this being done and having other people's film of this wine that I was allowed to graduate to photographing this wine bottle and I remember the first time I did it I was so excited and I made a complete mess of it which is quite funny looking back on it because well an, an, an animate object in an office is pretty easy to photograph yeah. but uh, I still made a mess of it uh, so that, that was that was the start so he kept me grounded at the beginning and uh, but he helped me build the uh, 
the foundations that my uh, my career and knowledge is uh, based on now. So he was a he was a great influence on me. We're going to kind of fast forward through your career and earning a place within an agency such as Reuters is, of course, a dream for many photojournalists. And and then becoming chief photographer in India for the agency. I mean, how did the association with Reuters form? Well, uh, after working in London for uh, quite a while with a couple of different agents, well, I worked for the Press Association and then the Daily Telegraph. I moved back to Ireland and was given the the opportunity to become their uh, their photographer covering Ireland and wherever else they wanted to, to send me. And so after a period of a few years working there, then the, the opening came up to uh, go to India and I applied for it and got it. And uh, that's that's what saw me in Delhi for the next few years. Were you prepared for what lay ahead? I was I was warned or given advice before I before I went that nothing nothing would prepare you for India. There was no way you could be prepared for it, no matter how well traveled or how many different locations you had worked in around the world. And I didn't really think this was true until I got there, and then I realized just uh, how difficult it is. Just uh, waking up in the morning is a and uh, going about your day before you even take pictures can be an effort in India. You know that logistically and environmentally, India takes a takes a toll on you without doing anything if you're passive you're still being assaulted by your senses and uh, mentally so yeah india india was a was an amazing opportunity and one one which i really relished and loved an amazing place to work i spoke to a photojournalist um, earlier today about the fact i was chatting with you and he said uh, oh he's he's the wire photographer you would want to be working for one of the biggest news organizations in the world an inspiration but also flies under the radar is, is that a fair description of how you operate, do you think? Yeah, well, I, I like to be quite uh, low-key. I'm not really one that uh, would hog the, the limelight too much, although now I'm g- because of the way things are moving on, I'm having to push myself forward and put myself into the get on the people's radar. It's just the way things work. But yeah, I like to go about my business uh, quietly. There's a lot of people look for the praise and adulation and they, they thrive on it. Of course, I have an ego. I, I, I like any comments, I positive comments I can get, but I, I like to just uh, work away quietly and do my own thing and then let, let uh, my work uh, speak for itself, really, and uh, hopefully hopefully it does. Here's a word we use quite often, actually, Carl, the de- democratisation of, or phrase, democratisation of photography. How has that affected you, that the smartphones and, and so on and so forth, everybody's a street journalist now? Well, I've had to embrace it. There's no, uh, there's no point in uh, being a Luddite about things and saying, oh, I wish it was uh, film photography and we were in the darkroom. That's, that's just not the way things are are anymore technology is advancing the way people consume their media is is changing it at all times and you have to you have to go with it Uh, you can sit by and complain but that's that's not going to change anything so i'm embracing it i've uh, joined Instagram and what have you, as you know, by yeah. uh, taking a wee look at some of my pictures on Instagram, and I I photograph my or film my dog in my <laughs> van, yeah. uh, like everybody else, and photograph my food. So what can you do? Do you sit by and just say nothing, or do you uh, jump on board and uh, try and change it from within? So that's that's the approach I'm taking. Well, one thing you've had to develop is is is, is, is providing more than simply the stills, uh, because I know you think of yourself as a a, a, a journalist, don't you? You have to interview as well as shoot. Video is more important than ever. Um, th- those additional skills are really important now, aren't they, in this business? Yeah, well, that's just part and parcel now. You, There's no such thing as 
a photographer as such. Any photographers I know, even working for the, the newspapers and the agencies, we are all journalists. People are wanting more for their money now. A lot of the agencies we're working for, uh, they want you to be able to be a journalist. They they expect you to be able to shoot video as well. Uh, so it's something you have to embrace. And if you want to make a career of it, you have to do it. So so a really important part of your career, I mean, it's all, all, all been important, but this, this for particular reasons of late, the mass exodus of the Rohingyans from from Myanmar uh, became became news, and the world finally became conscious of it in 2017. Although I think it, I'm right to say the refugees have been fleeing from persecution a good few years before that. And I read you had a particular passion in this particular story. It was a story, and I'm going to quote you: "You fervently wanted to do." And I wonder why that was. There was just something that uh, that was drawing me to the story. You know, I think every photographer maybe has got an assignment that they find themselves drawn to in a particular period of their life that they feel they must cover. And I fought and asked to go and cover that until eventually they relented and let me go, let me go and shoot it. And when I was there and even subsequently, it's something I am very, very proud of that I went and I shot it and I did it justice, I think. I hope I did those people justice and helped highlight the plight to the rest of the world and yeah me and uh, my colleagues at the time because I was part of a team a very a very good close-knit team at Reuters that uh, went and covered the uh, exodus with empathy sometimes you can go to these stories and it's just it can be almost like a box ticking exercise which I know sounds terrible but that's the reality whenever you're shooting assignments day to day but this is something that was done with a lot of empathy and passion and uh, sympathy so it's it's something I'm really really proud of and I'll I'll be proud of it till uh, the end of my days it was photographic coverage that saw you awarded quite rightly with a Pulitzer Prize for for photography in 2018 did that did that come as a surprise I mean I know it's very much a team effort as well and you're very quick to remind people that that it was a team that that won this as much as anything well it's always a surprise who you know if you were to think uh, or expect to win a pulitzer prize i think you're going to you're setting yourself up for a life of misery you can say you've won the pulitzer prize but i you don't win a pulitzer i think you're you you know you're awarded the pulitzer it's not something that you want to hold up and celebrate some terrible plight that you've uh, highlighted you know you it with uh, being awarded a pulitzer comes a, a certain responsibility so it was it was a great honor but saying that there was other people that were sh- other people that were shortlisted with work that was every bit as important and photographs that were every bit as good as ours it's just on the day our our team managed to be awarded the Pulitzer, and I'm I'm eternally eternally grateful yeah. for D- that. D- does it sit comfortably for those telling the stories to win prize prizes? I mean, you, you mentioned the word plight. You're essentially, winning prizes for pictures of plight. I mean, it, it's uncomfortable me asking, but it's something I've mused over because there's such juxtaposition, isn't there, Kyle? Yeah, and it's something I have a problem with as well. I didn't actually enter the Pulitzer. It was uh, we were. Uh, entered by uh, somebody else that was on on our behalf that's that's the thing i i can rest easy with this uh, particularly this particular accolade because i know i went and shot it with the right reasons some people go to these uh, war zones or go and cover particular stories and at the forefront of their mind is world press photo or pulitzer awards and to me i have a real issue with that because you're really doing it for the wrong thing Photography isn't all about taking away. Some people go to a particular uh, assignment and all they do is take. 
You know, photographers, they're just taking things and they want to be awarded things. You've got to give something back. You know, you've got the reason we were there was to show the world what was happening. You know, there's plenty of people we know they shoot specifically for competitions. And that is a road to mental health problems. Hmm. And uh, you're going to be sorely disappointed and you'll never be satisfied because you're never going to win competitions, every competition that you want to enter. And you're in it for the wrong reasons. Now, on the subject of empathy... I've asked photojournalists before about uh, empathy or separation in context of the camera being between you and your subject and, and how you deal with situations where your job is to is obviously to tell the story photographically. That's important. But y- you feel like you want to maybe down cameras and pitch into somehow help. And some of the pictures from Cox's Bazaar uh, spring to mind, images of the, the scuffles that you've made during the food distribution and mothers holding uh, newborn sick children. There, there's one image, Carl, uh, of a, a young child pulling him literally pulling himself through mud in your collection that just won't leave me and what what about that that separation between telling a story and and wanting to physically pitch in is is it hard yes it can be difficult you know you hear photographers journalists saying well i have a job to do if you get too emotionally involved you can't do your job that's okay to an extent but i'm uh, a father i'm a son I'm a brother. I'm just like everybody else. So there were numerous occasions uh, in Cox's Bazaar when I did put my cameras down and I did help people, not because I'm uh, better than anybody else, but just because that was the right thing to do. I remember one incident where uh, myself and another uh, photographer from the Associated Press at the food distribution centre, it was so chaotic and so badly managed that we uh, put our cameras down and started to take control of the situation ourselves and Mm. distribute the food ourselves. Otherwise, it was going to turn into a complete riot situation. That's when, uh, you know, humanity becomes more important than just a a photograph. You know, you have to be, when you close your night, eyes at night you have to be able to sleep and live with yourself i always think of what would my mother think i know that seems like a a very simplistic way of looking at it but what would my mother think if uh, if she knew that i was here and there was people suffering or whatever and i wasn't doing something to help what's photographic life now you're back in ireland at the moment aren't you yeah i'm back i'm back in ireland i'm back here with uh, my dog and my van life sort of gotten away uh, about a year ago well two things happened uh, I was denied entry back into India after picking up the, the Pulitzer Prize for work that I shot in Kashmir, although the, uh, that's that's a long story. But at the same time, I, uh, I had a family member became sick. And so I had to, well, I came home and I'm now uh, at home where I need to be at the minute. Yeah. So I, I stepped back from Reuters and had to focus on uh, my family, which is always the most important thing. Mm. But now through even things like this podcast, and that I'm, you know, I still need to feed myself. I still need to uh, feed my dog. Uh, Guinness isn't cheap, so <laughs> I need to, I need to uh, start making a living or paying for, you know, rent and things like everybody else. So uh, I'm looking at a new direction that I wasn't exactly. You know, I wasn't on this path maybe a year ago, two years ago, but uh, I find myself in a different path, and I'm just going to have to uh, get on with things. Or well, one of those paths. Um, is your workshops, mainly on the subject of street work. Though I get the feeling that these are courses as much about reportage and photojournalism because you're involved. What, what sort of challenges do you present to those attending 
to to prepare them for working on the street. And you've got a couple coming up actually, February and March. Yeah, I've I've actually been uh, taking workshops on and off for a few years, but I never I never really uh, advertised them that much. It was more word of mouth. But now I've had to uh, embrace it all because it's going to be something that I have to focus on a lot more. Whenever I looked, started doing a bit of research about who was holding these street photography workshops and I looked at their uh, portfolios or their work, quite often I was shocked at the standard of some of their work because you get a lot of wannabe photographers. I know this isn't going to be maybe go down well with some people. I'm not talking about all street photographers, but there's a lot of people out there who think you know, that have one career and then decide, you know what, at the weekends, I like taking photos and things. I'm going to start opening up a few workshops. That really annoys me. Mm. I've got 20 years experience or whatever on the walking the streets. There there are rules of kind of rules of engagement. I think that uh, you, you need to learn. There are ways of dealing with people. You know what, it, it's a skill and it, it's a skill in its own. And I'm wanting to offer that chance to people a chance that I didn't actually get whenever I was younger. I would have loved the the opportunity to uh, go out with somebody that had maybe a bit of a career behind them and uh, ask some questions and to be uh, shown shown what to do. And it's something I'm passionate about. There is nobody more passionate about photography than amateur photographers or people that are enthusiastic about photography. They're the people that maybe have more understanding of f-stops and pixels and what yeah. have you than anybody else yeah. and so whenever i talk to these people it uh, sort of gives me a love for photography again i get i get a lot from them because they are really really interested in my previous life as a chief photographer and reuters and that uh, a lot of the other pho- photographers you would talk to would become very jaded and a lot of the enthusiasm and passion is mm. gone but uh, i enjoy uh, it kind of is uh, reinvigorating me as well after so many years uh, uh, feeding the great big news wire machine. I've read too, uh, mainly through Instagram, that you're very much into van life. <laughs> you're, a, you're a van lifer. And and yeah. uh, and the dog features. Or what, What's dog's name? Sorry, I should know this. Uh, the dog is called Murphy. Murphy, of course, because you talk about Murphy. But Murphy, fe- <laughs> Murphy features on there. Usually Murphy's right at the start of a shot and it pans away from Murphy and then back to him again. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, Murphy, whenever I came back, Murphy was... Uh, sometimes I say, did, did I save Murphy or did Murphy save me? <laughs> uh, because Murphy was for the chop. He was a sheepdog that oh. has got absolutely no interest in sheep. So <laughs> I was told that Murphy was going to uh, expire the next day. So I, I went... And and rescued Murphy, but to be honest, Murphy, I think Murphy's rescued me. He's helped me over the past year as well, although he is a pain in the ass. But uh, <laughs> yeah, so Murphy, Murphy has been with me all over Europe in my van. Uh, it's funny, Murphy has a look of indifference sometimes when you when you address him. Yeah, yeah, Murphy, Murphy's his own person, really. Uh, I don't think he shows any gratitude at any time for anything I do, but uh, that that keeps me grounded, I think. Our thanks this week to Carl McNaughton for his time in recording that interview with us for the FujiCast. Of course, if you'd like more information about him, his work and his travels, then uh, check out the show notes uh, where Kev will uh, put all the uh, the appropriate links that he uh, diligently makes and records each, uh, each week for the podcast. And remember, if you have uh, any guests or anybody that you think would be appropriate for the FujiCast, including... Actually, yourself, if you're working on a personal project or something, let us know about it.
Right, back to questions. Oh, we've got your disasters coming up. We've got two this week toward the end of the show. Um, but questions, you, you launch, Kev. Okay, so I've got one from Barry Markham, and Barry says, Hello, Neil and Kev. Love the podcast and the banter between you two. Yada, 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 yada. A <laughs> uh, quick question. Oh, uh, no, sorry, a quick gear question. A gear question? A gear question. I listened to the interview with Keith Bernstein uh, shooting film pictures, and now I know the job I want to do when I grow up. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah it would yeah. be a good job. Yes. Um, my Keith qu- Bernstein, by the way, was the guy that shoots film, film stills. Film stills, yeah. Yeah, so my question is, there was no discussion about what equipment he uses to shoot film pictures. Oh, Can yeah. you tell me anything about how he does yeah. this? Well, you know this. I know the answer, even though you did the interview, um, because I met Keith at a, at a um, convention you, once. You did, yeah. You spoke on the same stage. We did, Keith, indeed. Yeah. In fact, we both wore bright red, bright red shoes. I know. <laughs> um, so I listened to, I went to his uh, his talk because it was fascinating, and he shoots with Sony something or other. I think he's what they call a Sony artisan, which yeah. is uh, kind I think of an, I think I'm right in saying he's an A7 shooter. Uh, yeah, I'm, I, I yeah. would imagine it's it's not the not the A9. Well, yeah. I don't. Yeah, no. I, I don't. I don't know. Anyway, so he's certainly a Sony shooter. Um, and the reason why he went mirrorless, if I remember rightly from his conversation, is that, you know, he used to shoot with DSLR, I think Nikon, but I might be wrong, um, but I have to use a big blimp, yeah. you know, which is like a big carrier big bag. case that you put the, yeah. the camera in, isn't it? Um, so you can't hear the shutter. Can't you hear the shutter. the rolling sound. So mirrorless is perfect for him, of course, yeah. and, and his flavour of choice yeah. is Sony, and he makes uh, amazing pictures from it. He yeah, does. so he is yeah. a Sony shooter, Keith Bernstein. Yeah, so thanks, Barry. Good question. Darren Rainshaw, here's a quickie for Kev. I know you really love black and white as a medium and even have a package for clients in your wedding work where they can have all the pictures in either black and white or colour or both. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of having a black and white only service, which I'll make cheaper to draw in some kind of uptake. I love black and white. My dream is to find clients who only want black and white. Any thoughts, Darren? Uh, yeah, well, both you and I have discussed this kind yes. of thing before, haven't we? And my, my black and white, I offer a discount for people who want just black and white. So I have a similar kind of mindset on it. Very, very few people go for it. Do they? Yeah, very, very few people. Why do you think that is? I think because weddings are colourful. I think mm. the, the world we live in, the social media world, the Instagram generation, it's all colour, isn't it? Um, do you think lowering the price, though, would help people think, oh, do you know what? I, I, I oh, like if you lowered idea. it low enough, absolutely. You would, for sure, it would sell. But whether it's economically viable yeah. that's the difference um because you know ultimately shooting everything in black and white is more difficult mm. because you have to make more consideration of the light you have to make more consideration of the exposure you can see the light if you're shooting if you're visualizing it in black and white as well then you can see that light easier well certainly i can yeah. um but actually you know you have to make take more consideration of light when you're shooting in black and white because an image with little light in you know in like in a corner of a wedding room um you you know might look a lot better in color than it does in black and white because there's no contrast there's no there's no structure to the image so it can be a bit more difficult so actually charging less for it kind of is a little bit more is counterintuitive um but point taken, and it's something that you know both you and I have kind of dabbled with. I think didn't really work with me actually. I, I mm. must admit, I thought I thought having the black and white only project mm. because a lot of people who go to my website see a lot of black and white anyway. They might be more sort of attuned to it and quite like the idea. Of, I've done two only black and white weddings in the what well, in 2019. Yeah, I've done a couple also. Um, I that, think that was it out of all the weddings I shot. I think that also remember we live in a digital world everybody absolutely everybody takes photos on yeah. whether it's on their phone or on a dslr or on a mirrorless camera or whatever 
they all know that you can convert color pictures to black and white yes. they know that yeah. so they what they don't know is the difficulties of metering for the light and seeing the shadows and making a black and white image from an artistic point of view rather than it just being a color image that you've converted to black and white afterwards so if you can get the message to them that it's not just a case of i'm going to just you know i'm holding i'm holding ransom the color images you know you're actually making it a creative decision based on the pictures you're taking yeah that's the message to could, get across could, could feel like that i suppose yeah it would yeah. do yeah of course yeah. absolutely why would it not feel like that what what black and white uh, i'm just trying to look on my phone here oh i found it i use carbon is it carbon i use for black and white processing uh, on my iphone which uh, is great great app yeah, yeah yeah i've heard of that um so there, there's your answer your question kev okay i have a question from um Gavin Caldwell, and he says, I would like to combine my Fuji photography along with my, uh, or this is definitely a question for you, Neil. I would like to combine my Fuji photography, although it doesn't have to be Fuji, along with my intended first podcast. I just find it very bewildering with all of the various things you have to do in order to create a podcast. Any tips on starting a photo podcast for 2020? In terms of podcast, I got an answer. Have you? My answer is find a Neil. <laughs> find a Neil and everything is simple. <laughs> um, yeah, you can pay me to do it. <laughs> I'd be very happy to. I'm already producing a, a, a few podcasts for other people now. Um, doing your own podcast, I mean, for, for a start, don't expect it to be something that's going to... Make um, money. Make, make money. <laughs> no. Um, building podcasts is a slow-burning process. It is very much a brick by brick by brick process you start off with 10 you get 20 audience you get 600 then 800 moving towards your first that what if that's if audience size is important to you if you're very very niche it might not be um sam and steve for example sam and steve vaughan steve is uh, one of our um, moderators their podcast is about um it invites other wedding suppliers, doesn't it? I think, uh, and, and that's uh, that's that's been a, a, a nice modest start for them. So it mm-hmm. depends what you want to make your podcast about. If you're talking about kit, then wow, um, you need um, you need a, a digital edit, audio editing um, program. I personally use Audition. I like it because you can add in what's called compression, which which uh, beefs up the whole sound a little bit. Um, w- we do get quite a lot of feedback saying, "Oh, it sounds nice and radio-like." Mm-hmm. Uh, one that's because we we're going through it's effectively a radio studio this so mm. you know it's, it's not you know there, there's there's a bit of investment in this but you can just get yourself a recorder like i've got a couple here h4 zoom h4 or something plug a couple of mics into it um and then run it through some compression with your your digital audio workstation pop it up to something like anchor anchor's um a, a great uh, hosting you'll need a hosting service for your podcast so you upload your audio files to Anchor. Um, there's various, but I'm just that's the first one that comes to mind. That's free. I use it. And it's very good. We don't we host this one uh, in a different place. Um, and and there we go. You've got your podcast. Bang. So, there you go. Simple, Gavin. <clears throat> just go. You could do that probably the next Soft. hour or so. I would imagine. Be Otherwise, simple. indeed, come to me, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll do it for you. <laughs> All right. Your question. Oh, is it my turn? Um, yeah. Even though I made you answer that oh, one. There's a complaint. A couple of people wrote in on this one. Strangely not, John St. John Smith. Did you know about this, by the way? I did. When you said St. John, I knew... Did you know it? I kn- you never I thought knew to correct me. You'd be, it'd be you should have given me the... That's it. All the time I've done that about half a dozen times. I know. Uh, a complaint. Anyway, a couple of people wrote in on this one. But as I say, John St. John Smith did not write in. Robert Pope did. Dear Neil, you are a heathen. <laughs> John St. John Smith is pronounced John St. John Smith. Good show, though. Love, Robert. 
<laughs> Robert pronounced Bob. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Pronounced James. So I do know that now. I feel corrected. And John, funnily enough, did. He's coming along to the uh, third uh, to the first. I keep saying thirtieth. We're not that old. The first birthday podcast. Um, but um, yeah, he um, <laughs> he didn't correct me on it. But there we go. No, because he's too. Uh, I'm bouncing. It's like a tennis match. Boom! Back to you for a que- for an actual question. Okay, so Tim Grace says, "Morning, chaps. Quick question for the start of 2020. I've been working now as a wedding photographer for six years. This will be my seventh. I've shot locally in the main, but I really want to get into destination weddings. Ooh. What would be your advice? Since I see you both do them, here's to celebrating 2030 with you guys too. Hmm. I, I, at first I thought that was a mistake but actually I think he's real 10 years yeah that would be a hell of a party that. wouldn't Ripes. it hey? God, I don't know I'll have more grey hair blimey yeah. <laughs> more grey hair <laughs> oh uh, hang on I don't have hair <laughs> 2030 God just the thought of it how old would I be into how old I am you'll be uh, times by four, yeah, seven, 72 nine, <laughs> yeah nearly <laughs> blimey <laughs> I'll have um, I'll have taken my highly effective government pension by then. Do you think Gemma will still? Be there? still be yes. yes. Me and Gemma to the bitter joined end. at the hips. Are you? Yeah. Moving on. I was trying to think of the word conjoined twins. What's the word? That's what? it. Conjoined twins. Uh, and then I was going to say we are conjoined by love. Ah. And then I cocked it up. Pass so me a bucket. Totally forgot please. what it was. Uh, okay. Don't so even remember what the question was. Now I'm thinking about you and Gemma conjoined. Uh, oh yeah, no. Uh, the question, the question was about um, uh, destination weddings. Oh yes. Well, myself and Kev have just been to Switzerland mm-hmm. to do one. Uh, first rule: do not have, do not share a bedroom because one <laughs> of you will snore. <laughs> We're not saying which one. Yeah, we did a lot of driving. Um, I, I don't. I, I, you have to ask yourself why you want to do them first of all. Okay, is, is it is it because you really want to do them, or is it? Is it, and I'm, I'm using this with a small e, is it ego? Yeah, do you want to be seen as shooting a destination yeah. wedding? Yeah, so you can put it on your website. Yeah. Um, they are I, fun, but I, I wouldn't choose to do them. Philip White, for example, the videographer that we often talk about, I mean, he, most of his life is spent shooting wedding films abroad. Mm. And he's rarely, in some parts of the, the year, is rarely at home. Yeah. Because these are... He's a high-end It's not Switzerland. This, he's going down to the Bahamas and places like that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Although I did I did once um, shoot a wedding with him in... Uh, Bethnal Green. In Lincoln, in a barn oh, in Lincoln. In a barn in yeah. Lincoln, yeah. And he did say, you know, these these come along too. Anyway, but yeah, you're, you're quite right. I, I, I honestly wouldn't think that was the case with Tim, but there are people out there who, you know, are desperate to just be yeah. seen as doing destination weddings. So we'll do it basically for for nothing or yeah. at an expense yeah. you know you're going to hear from the other the flip side where other people other photographers will say well if you're away for three days you could you know you travel on the friday shoot on the saturday come back on the sunday you should try you should charge three full days wedding uh, i don't b- believe that myself personally i mean i do charge a higher rate for yeah. sure um there's not many clients that would pay you exactly you know, yeah four four or five days worth just just because you shot on one one and a half days and i have to say i've done i've done i don't know maybe 15 or so of them last year uh, are they fun are they fun no no, i mean they're fun as in they're as fun as all the other weddings yeah but no there's nothing romantic about going to bristol airport on a friday stressing about your flight being on time picking up a higher car the other side driving for three hours on the wrong side of the road shooting a wedding beautiful wedding as it may be 
getting back in that higher car, driving to Toulouse Airport on the wrong side, on of, the the wrong road, side yeah. of the road. You know, worrying about French air traffic strikes. Yes. Getting home, worrying about whether you you know your memory cards have been sucked into the ether going through going through security. You know, all of that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, of course. Don't you know? Don't get me wrong. It is beautiful. I have some, some. I have some lined up this year, which I'm really excited by. Um, especially one in in northern Germany. Um, I've got one in Amsterdam. Oh, that, that, that's the place you've showed me. The one in Germany. Yeah, the one in Germany. That looks like it's been most amazing. Yeah, if day. it's um, if it's if there's a reason to shoot a wedding, and for that one, I'm not particularly charging like an, an over uh, an over exuberant amount because mm. it's something that I just really want to do. It's it's basically in a bubble in the Baltic. It's sea. incredible. Yeah, right next to the coast, isn't it? Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's you it's a with coast. only about ten people or something. I isn't think it? yeah, seven or eight people. Amazing. Um, but yeah, otherwise, yeah, it's it's. If you like travel and you like and you you know let's face it Neil and I have got kids and wives and stuff and so you know well, I've got one wife yeah okay fair enough <laughs> I I've got one current wife um you know and we want to get back and it's you know we're not going for a jolly you know three or four days uh, yeah. adventure afterwards and and you know if you're single and you're by yourself and you like travel and something basically shooting a wedding will facilitate you getting there for cheap or free then absolutely go for it and do it Re- and enjoy it rewinding just a little bit though if he really wants to get into them is is there a way of getting into do, do, mm, do you con- do you contact the the planners is that the best way to do it how do you do you do it through facebook advertising i'm not sure that would work for, mm. for this particular thing i would say how, how did you get because you do i mean you do a lot more than me yeah, but they they nearly all come from either wedding planners or referrals. So a lot of the people who get married in in you know a certain part of France, like that I've shot, they all seem to know each other, or yeah. they've all been guests at that wedding and right. various things like that. So yeah, it's no, I definitely didn't market for it. You know, there's no, you won't go onto my website and see a page titled destination wedding. Nobody, you, a bride is not going to type into Google op, destination op, wedding photographer. No, that makes not. no sense. But you optimize for that though, don't you? No, well, I, no, I will optimize for like yeah. I have my French weddings in a in a category called French wedding photographer yes. or French documentary weddings or something. I can't remember exactly. So soft categorization. Yeah, no, I can tell you right now that destination wedding photographer is not a term that anybody would search for yeah. but good luck if you want yeah. to do them they're, Sorry, they're, we, they're, they are good fun we went off on a bit of an angry ranting <laughs> again <laughs> good luck Tim tell us when you do your first one yeah. <laughs> and enjoy it yeah don't forget hi, to enjoy it hi Kevin hi Neil sorry there's a, a few um, um, I don't know why I'm apologising sometimes there's more wedding things than other weeks but uh, it's all photography hi Kevin Neil Greg Smith of Huddersfield here oh, hello Greg I thought I'd write and tell you about the really, really cute tradition I came across while shooting a wedding uh, over the Christmas period. During the church wedding service, the local kids tie up the gates of the church, Lich Gate, and won't let the bride and groom exit the church till they get some money. He attached a pick, actually. It was kids, sir, with the faces just peering over the gate. Mm. Give us your money. Mm. I don't know how long the tradition's been going on or if it happens elsewhere, but I thought you, you and your listeners might be interested, might be worth sharing. Does anybody know of any other quaint church traditions? I think I heard one of the kids' parents saying this tradition's been going on for about 100 years or, or so. Churches in, uh, in South Yorkshire. O- Othrington in North Yorkshire. Uh, yeah, it's a Yorkshire St. thing, yeah. St Andrews. Oh, is it actually a Yorkshire thing? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I, I, I've, I, it's hap- I've seen it a couple of times oh, at right. weddings before. They've always been in Yorkshire. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I asked one of the brides once, and she said, yeah, it's a Yorkshire thing. Oh, yeah. okay. So they do, the, the kids basically hold the lich gate shut, and then the, the bride and groom have to throw money in the air. Is that right? And they collect the money, and then they let them out. Yeah. 
I like that idea of the the money thing at weddings. Um, one one of the traditions, obviously, at uh, Greek and Turkish weddings, I think, as well, is is money pinned on the bride, isn't mm. it? And at Asian weddings, of course, the Asian, the, the friends, yeah. the family, usually the sisters, steal the shoes of the groom. Oh right, and okay. he has to pay them to yes, get the shoes back. Yes, I've seen, yes, yeah. of course, I've seen that. I think if ever I have another wedding, I might call it a, a Turkish wedding. <laughs> Just pretend. Just pretend. Yeah, yeah. You don't look very Turkish. I know. I but know. There's a little yeah. bit going back about three hundred years. I took it back. I took it up recently. <laughs> yeah. I took up being re- Turkish recently. That's what we should do for. <laughs> I think for for uh, me and Mrs. J's. Um, I don't know, what's the next big wedding anniversary? Maybe our twentieth or something. Um, we'll have a Turkish wedding wedding anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Pin pin the money. I I was, how do they actually pin the money on without it? You know, well, they have they have pins uh, through somebody's. No, the ones dress. I've seen, they have purpose-made plastic little wallet things that. that well, so you have a special wedding dress with just little clips on it. Yeah, it's kind of like a. Um, I don't really have no way of explaining it, but it's a purpose-built device right. for wedding dresses that you can hang on them, and people will stick oh, so fifty quid th- notes in there. Oh right, okay. Yeah, and pin them on there. Oh well. There, there's something uh, new that I've uh, that I've learned today. Um, some new features on the show then this week. You've heard the reintroduction of the book review, which is kind of backed by popular demand, Kev, isn't it? So thank you for your suggestions on that note. We brought back the, the self-indulgent minute, which was a one-minute roundup of the nice messages and reviews you've left mainly on the Apple podcast platform. We dumped the idea for a while, but then we brought it back just so we can say thank you in in a kind of irreverent fashion. So we invented this imaginary place called the Coat of Ego, where it's always sunny, thanks to your kind words. And um, it even has a jingle, doesn't it, Kev? Are you ready? Go for it. The Coat of Ego. Welcome. You fly in and straight away you're met by the cocktail waiter. Something very alcoholic, please. Don't mind if I do. Well, welcome to the Coat of Ego, which is our, our imaginary land, where we have an opportunity to thank you personally for some of the... Beautiful um, comments that you make on the the reviews, which we're, which I think it's suitable for a, an island just off the Italian coast. Absolutely, called the Coat of Ego. Coat of Ego. Are you ready? You, you go for the first one. All right. So I have one from. Uh... <laughs> that was a good start. We've given you a bad name. That was a good with. start. No, the names are at the bottom rather than the top. All right. I thought his name was Vaccine for a moment, but well, not the name. Maybe is, it is. The name is Dave Trice. All right. And not le- Vaccine. And no, but his his uh, review starts with Vaccine to those Monday morning blues. Kevin and Neil are just incredible. Yada 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 yada. The podcast <laughs> foster an awesome community of professionals and enthusiasts that engage with a really useful topic and insights. The community simply tee up my, uh, many of the talking points, and Kevin and Neil's dynamic knock it out of the park. The <laughs> weekly content is never lacking with great interviews, lots of laughs, and some interesting thought-provoking information. If you enjoy photography no matter the market or the gear you utilize you will enjoy yourself and will actually start looking forward to monday for another round cheers ah buy a buy a buy, buy bog one that's a very strange name a really entertaining listen even if you are not a fuji shooter i listen religiously or oh, like mishi you mean <laughs> from last week's show the hosts are extremely knowledgeable and there's so much healthy banter between them it's not just about fuji either the guests that participate coming from a variety of genres and backgrounds which just adds another reason of why you should give it a whirl i said a try not not a whirl sorry 
I miss Mishy. This is from <laughs> Evo 1200. Oh, Mishy, come back. A Christmas delight. Gentlemen, this was truly a delight. He's referring to our Nativity episode, oh, presumably. Yeah. yeah, that was fun. Neil is a brilliant producer, so the content is always perfectly crafted. Neil and Kevin and the wives are a blast. This was a special, <laughs> thoughtful, sweet, genuine. It arrived like a present to us listeners from your hearts. Boys, have a beautiful and blessed Christmas. Well, we did. Uh, and then, uh, may Christ love and light shine on all of your family, you and your family. Cheers, can't wait for 2020. Well, you're there. Indeed. Thank you. Um, at 0056, the best. I cannot get enough of you guys in the podcast. I've become a Fuji lover six months now and there's no looking back. And to add this podcast, well, I can't say enough. I've listened to all the episodes more than once. That's called binge listening, isn't it? That's yeah. more than I listen to them. <laughs> <laughs> you, you guys are the best. Well, that's very kind. And, of course, we have a little message to all those four people that, that wrote in a re- review. And we really mean this. You're our favourite listener and we mean it. Right. OK, enough. Uh, we'll do another. But if you're sending in your reviews, um, you may well be featured next week. Um, another question, then we'll finish on the uh, the two disaster stories that we have this week, Kev. OK, so I have a question from... Um, it's uh, good old Ali. Ali Stewart again. Uh, hi, Kevin. Ali Neil. sneaks in there. Well, yeah, under the radar. Beep, 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 some good questions. Flying in with another question. Hi, Kevin. Neil. Happy New Year to you both. I'm looking forward to seeing what 2020 brings. This great Fridgecast community that you've created. Um, as we head into a new decade, what's your goals for the next year and the next decade? Goodness Where sake. do you think wedding photography oh, might be in ten years' time I as we head into the 30s? I can't think of one week ahead, Ali. Do you make resolutions? Uh, I don't really make resolutions, but I make kind of decisions that so for example my new year's decision this year from a business point of view is to firmly follow the profit first um accountancy rule okay is that it yeah and remain vegan (laughs) yeah remain vegan but the profit first thing is is made a big impact on me last year and so i'm gonna implement it at 100 percent this year um, I will link to the Profit First stuff on our Foodcast page if you so wish, or we could talk about it. If anybody wants to talk about the f- Profit First technique, write an email in to click at foodcast.co.uk you, and what, we what can it, talk about it. What is a little, give us a sampler of... It's a. It's basically an accounting principle where you use five different bank accounts to oh. separate your income streams. So you have a, an operating account. Sounds like tax avoidance. You, no, no, it's not because you have a tax account. You right. have a owner's compensation account. You have uh, actually it's four accounts, right. um, and you you everything that comes in you split on a percentage basis. So uh, the idea okay. is that you keep your tax accounts and your um, effectively savings accounts in in uh, hard to get to places bank accounts that have high interest <laughs> remember them <laughs> high interest yeah remember some the, interest remember would be the something. war during the war yeah. um and so yeah no it's really good really really clever but it's hard to enforce it yeah. so um that's my my resolution to myself okay but i can talk about that further if anybody I, is more interested i think that's that's quite a good idea yeah right it's a book basically it's profit first book it's yeah. very famous um so so ali says um what what where do you think photography will be in 10 years time we talked about the the smartphone thing i you know it's it's a good chance that camera manufacturers i think will have a tough time as these smartphones get better and better and better and better i wonder whether the camera manufacturers will go into the smartphone game that was a long considered huff Mm. well i'm just thinking like from fujifilm's point of view uh, they produce lenses for lots of 
different like osteoscopes and uh, telescopes and you know all of that kind of stuff even stuff of the cosmetic industry as well isn't it cosmetics yes they 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 do all of that stuff but fujifilm as an organization is a huge yeah huge Um, they ain't just cameras no absolutely in fact the digital market the digital imaging department is a tiny Mm. tiny part of their, their business um yeah i mean i i i I don't know about that that blend between the smartphones and the and the the yeah. cameras, physical cameras. But chip, um, chips will get even smaller. Yeah. So the likelihood is that you'll be able to make pictures with your glasses much more easily without people seeing that you're doing so. Yeah. Street, street photography could become very intriguing. Well, that's that's my my the, the point I was going to make about photography in the next ten years wasn't so much about the technology, it was about the, uh, the 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 critical mass of perception that we're running headlong into and this this idea that you know you mustn't take a picture because of privacy and the more that people like facebook keep abusing our privacy rights the more that that's going to happen and the less likelihood people are going to be comfortable taking pictures of you know i can i can actually i can't see it being too too not likely to happen that didn't make any sense did it i think we know where you are um if in the future in 10 years time you're taking a picture of your kids in the park and you you actually have to go and blur out anybody else that happens to be in the park behind them or it'll it'll be easy by then you just you just tap on your faces that need to be in focus and everything else will be pixelated out that's it i'm out at that point (laughs) i'm gonna go and become a i'm gonna write vegan cookbooks well, that's <laughs> you'd be yeah well, i would that would that would break my heart though it would yeah. you know and it just takes all the interest out and that's and that's because i i told you did i read you out that email i had from um on my uh, f16 website no you are a disgrace to fujifilm x being oh. an ambassador how dare you take pictures of strangers in the streets and put them on your website what would you do if if somebody took a picture of of you and put them on your website mm. now this was this was just regular street photography and i was like you know what this is from a German guy mm. and I was like I know the laws are different in your country but when your kids grow up they will have nothing nothing to remind them of your naivety and your arrogance and your oh you bit back then oh I went right back at him That's so, not like you Kev no I did in that case because he he, 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 he got me on the Achilles heel you know he did. Uh, and, and then he, it was a personal attack based on something inappropriate yeah uh, so that's my fear for photography. Did, I have he, to did, say. He, did he send you a Christmas card after that? No, no. Um, but yes. Yeah, so sorry, Ali. I've got another little angry rant. <laughs> Which seems a very good time to do our disasters, doesn't it? As our closing uh, offering to you, uh, Tony McKeon. Um, we've got two rants. Uh, not two. <laughs> two disasters. Do you want me to rip this in half and give you one of them? Okay. There we go. Don't bring my blood pressure down. Yeah. Okay, let's just... I'm never able to do that rip thing. Hold on. Okay. There we go. Well done. So I'll start with Tony McKeons. Hello, gents. Uh, loving the podcast. Right blend of information and humour. I'm not a wedding photographer. Not a pro at all, but a sort of keen amateur. Some time ago, I was backing up the latest of my photos from an external drive to my file server. I can always... I can already see this going south. And halfway through... The house suffered a lightning strike. (laughs) It fried both devices, and I lost every photo I have ever taken. Mm. Five years' worth of images, all gone, save for the ones I'd printed or had on memory cards, which wasn't many. My heart sank, and I lost all motivation to take photos again. I sold all my gear, 
and I'm only just taking tentative steps back in again. With three levels of backup now, I'm not surprised. I'll have more than that, I think. Tony, yeah, well, that, that is a proper disaster. Hasn't even got a funny end, that one. No, that's, yeah. Oh, I'm just going to go straight on to Bjorn then. Bjorn Moerman. Yep. Moerman. A couple of years ago, I bought a fancy shutter release button for my pretty new X-T2. To my frustration, the button kept falling off. One night, there might have been some grape juice involved. I grabbed, <laughs> I grabbed some, <laughs> I grabbed some Loctite and came up with a great plan of gluing my shutter release button oh, to the camera. No. One little drop of super glue into the shutter button hole, followed by an immediate insta- installation of the button. Oh. What could possibly go wrong? I wonder. Some of the glue started overflowing, immediately gluing the shutter button in the fully pressed down position. How stupid can you be? Oh, and did I tell you I'm an ex-photographer? Oh, no. Please don't mention my name. Oh, sorry, Bjorn. Yeah, sorry. Bjorn Moerman. Yeah. <laughs> Job done. I thought for a minute he was going to say he glued his finger to the shutter button. That would have been dreadful as well, wouldn't it? Yeah. There we go. These disasters are great. We'd really like you to send them in, please. So, yes. uh, so click at fujicast.co.uk is the address to send them into. So make make sure you send those food. Those, those uh, not Fuji, Fuji disasters. No, and, anything. And, and any, any, anything. Any, any photographic disaster was what I was trying to say. And that's it this week. Uh, thank you for your company, and uh, thank you indeed to our guest, Carl McNaughton. And the the links, of course, to Carl's work uh, will be in the show notes. Uh, if you've liked this week's show, then please take a moment and share it. We'll consider you legendary material. Um, and if you haven't yet gone in... Oh, by the way, the Apple Podcast reviews are great too. Do you do you actually go into the, the Apple Podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep them coming. They're really important for the algorithms and the rankings and all of that other good stuff. Only say nice things, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, have you joined the private Facebook group yet? If you haven't, we are waiting in there to say hello to you. It's a safe place to uh, share your thoughts and opinions. And you can ask some questions in there as well. I think you'll find that people are, are quite generous with their yeah, replies. Yeah, it's yeah, not, yeah, yeah. Unlike some of the groups where people sort of attack you no. for, for you, know, you don't know the answer to that it's not that kind of group at all no it's all good um, thank you for your questions your thoughts your comments and even the odd whinge because without them we'd be scuppered it would all end quicker than a vicar turning up for a Saturday night cheese and wine do only to find out it got the wrong date and it showed up in the neighbourhood swingers party night instead send them in via the website address click at fujicast.co.uk music from Blue Wednesday uh, supporting music from Art List and if you'd like to see our offerings to the photo community and world there is one address that you need to go to now learn about the kit neil and kevin use get links to all their websites and find out first about any new workshops coming up by going to www.fujicast.co.uk forward slash the boys and we will see you back here next week bye 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 the fujicast is an independent loading zone production email the show with your questions and words of wisdom to click at fujicast.co.uk email any complaints and political nonsense to our wives who will deal with your comments in their own good time and in their own good way